0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining. Today, I'm speaking with Frank McCormick. Frank is a teacher, and I started following him on Twitter. He talks a lot about fighting back against the critical social justice in schools, and I like a lot of what he says, so I thought I'd have him on. Hey, Frank, thank you for coming on.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Obaid.
0: Yeah. So like I said, I mentioned I followed you on Twitter and seeing your tweets, so did you finally just say, okay, well, that's enough or did you like, did it take you a while to figure out what was going on? Like, how did you start like, you know, like we were tweeting about it and talking about it and, you know, like basically trying to push back against it.
1: Yeah. Um, it, there was definitely a decision to speak out and do so publicly. I'd noticed things have been changing in the, in, in my school district in particular, um, especially after the uh George Floyd uh, incident and the uh, rioting there was um, obviously we know there was a big you know change sweeping across the country and I started to notice it in my school on a level that I hadn't before and I felt compelled after about a year to I think I just kind of reached my my limit with it and wanted to start talking about what I was seeing from the inside and rally other teachers because I knew they're there were, and there are people like me inside. And, um, a lot of them are, are scared to speak out and, um, because of obvious repercussions. And so I just started getting on there and just started tweeting and writing some blog posts. And, um, that's kind of where it went.
0: The other, like you're, you know, you mentioned there are other teachers and I've spoken to, you know, like Paul Rossi and I've spoken to, um, a couple other teachers and that's the thing. Like there's always others who will like backing you up, but silently like, at what point do you think it's going to take for, cause like you, like I said, you started tweeting and putting up blog posts and stuff like that, but you know, you're kind of putting a target on your back in some ways. Um, as you mentioned, like, you know, you, there are repercussions for speaking out against this stuff, but at what point do you think other teachers are going to start doing this? Because unless you get a go, you know, unless you get like a, concentrated effort it's you know it's not
1: like it's gonna be hard to push back against all the like the social justice stuff It, it definitely is um i i think part of my hope is that by bringing it to the attention of the public that i can create kind of some outside support and um kind of shine a spotlight on the schools from the outside i think it definitely is going to be hard because there's so few of us already and we've seen these kind of public resignations, people quitting. I I've I've said I wish people didn't do that. Um not because I don't support them and I don't understand where they're coming from, but I think what we need is people on the inside to to keep speaking out, to keep uncovering what's going on. And I recognize it's hard. And, you know, I've I've felt that desire before where you just want to leave, you want to give your resignation, you know, for a number of reasons. I mean, working in school is tough enough already. You add this dimension to it and it becomes sometimes unbearable. Um, I'll tell you, I'm not very optimistic about change happening from the inside. I think it's going to take a significant amount of outside pressure from parents and the general public to really change things. And my hope is that you know maybe it won't require every teacher like me to come together maybe some of us speaking out pointing attention bringing attention to this and telling parents like we need your support we need you to go to school board meetings we need you to hold your school board accountable i think the public's been kind of asleep at the wheel for a while and they're kind of just waking up now but so much has been been done over the past you know not not just since george floyd but really over the past several years i mean a lot of this has been going on for a decade if not longer it's just mm-hmm. intensified
0: along with like the parents getting involved which you know 100 percent agree with you there but i've looked at some of the other things around this so um there's a couple of states that have passed free range kids laws mm-hmm. and i think i think that they're in part of the problem like parents or have to be with their kids all the time. Like, you know, you're taking your kids everywhere. You can't leave them alone. If you let, if you let your 10 year old go to the park, you know, you might get a knock on the door from child protective services. And then even if parents like kind of looked at the curriculum or kind of looked at the syllabus and said, okay, whatever we're learning about social justice or we're learning about anti-racism or whatever, it sounds good. And they don't go any further than that. I think last year, like, you know, with the pandemic and homeschooling and distance learning and all that parents started to realize what was actually being taught. And I think that's what sparked, uh, you know, that's what got them involved in this because just, I mean, there's the most recent one is the, the the school in Atlanta, the, you know, that was segregating classes and there was like a black woman came up and said, no, like, you know, she, I think she's suing the school now. And it's so, I think parents are finally paying attention, which is a good thing, And it's, but I'm just worried, okay, like when you said it has to be from the outside, but like, sorry, I'm rambling here a bit, but I'm worried about no, that. No. I'm worried about like, okay, what's coming out of the universities? What's coming out of the colleges of education? Who's going into the school boards? Who's going into, you know, like the administration of the board? I don't mean like the board members who get elected, but the actual people doing the work. Exactly. If they're all trained to think in one way, like how effective are parents going to be like, it's, I mean, I, okay. I think you're going to need parents, legislation, teachers, and, you know, those board members who aren't on, like, who aren't, who don't agree with this. Like, I think it's going to, it just, until you get all that working together, I don't think you're going to have much, much luck having long-term effects. You might just have like a holding pattern.
1: I, I agree. Um, I've said I think it. This has to be education, and specifically idea, ideology and education has to be a big ticket issue um, in the next presidential election, in state elections, and so forth. It's it's going to have to be a coalition. It's going to be have to be more than parents. It's going to have to be legislators. It's going to have to be politicians. It's going to have to be communities. And um, I think people need to understand. You know, kind of the beast we're up against. This is a an incredibly powerful, you know, one of the oldest social institutions in America with an incredible amount of power. And you already have this ideology that's become an orthodoxy. And like I said, you know, they're they're already ahead of us and they've already got it coded and, you know, packaged in nice sound bites and it looks great on paper. And um, it's going to take a lot of work and maybe, you know, I, I, there was almost a kind of a, a fatalism to what I did and, and kind of knowing where this could go and, and what the outcome might be. But, you know, I do kind of feel it's like a David versus Goliath thing right now. Um, my, my hope is that that can change. I, if, if I didn't have any hope, I wouldn't have come forward. But um, I, I definitely share your concerns. And, um, you know, what you said about where this comes from, you know, coming from the universities, I've called it trickle down radicalization where you have kind of this really small kind of academic sect that has made these very radical ideologies mainstream by having them trickle down into positions of power. And, and once they got into the educational system, it became kind of institutionalized as as truth. And that is my, my greatest concern, is that people don't realize these are not necessarily where did these ideas come from? These were certain philosophers, you know, you can trace it back to, you know, French postmodernism, and they, they kind of became normalized through the flow of um, power. And what, what better vehicle to do that than public schools? I mean, everyone was concerned of when it was happening in colleges. But, you know, one thing about colleges, you figure, well, at least at least, you know, people that go there are adults that can make up their own minds. They can challenge back. And I'm not saying that that happens. We, we know that we know the problems that exist on college campuses, but it was a whole different game when you brought into K to 12 schools. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, these kids are are ripe for this ideology and indoctrination and Paul Rossi, you know, I, I use this all the time. Now he said it best. He said, children, see in primary, co- see the world in p- primary colors and this ideology, which is very easy to kind of compartmentalize mm-hmm. people into certain groups and has a certain narrative. That's really, you know, easy for the general public to understand. And mm-hmm. it explains a lot of complex problems in very simple ways. It's great for kids. I mean, not, not great, but yeah. in terms of, if that's your goal is to, to spread it, picked a better target. Yeah.
0: Like whatever, I think this is attributed to Aristotle anyways, but you know, give me the boy until he's ten and I'll give you the man or I'll show you the man, like you know, like it's um Okay, so like I was wondering like, okay, there's that whole debate of you know, whether CRT is being taught in classes or whether it's not. Um, I mean that whole debate's just a waste of time as far as I'm concerned.
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: it's like I you know, we should focus on if you're going to have the conversation on education, the conversation should be why are only 35% of kids graduating, you know, high school able to read at grade level? Why are only 22% of kids being able to do math at grade level? Like that should be your conversation, not whether or not CRT is being taught, but if you wouldn't mind giving a couple of examples of like what you saw in classrooms or, you know, like what was being pushed and what was not.
1: Sure. Um, so the way I understand you know, critical race theory, I think there's kind of a disingenuous game people are playing. They're kind of using this no true Scotsman fallacy. Well, that's not really true critical race theory, and that's not it. And I think we first have to recognize that critical race theory, there's, there's truth. It is not being taught directly. It's, it's being applied as praxis. Um, sometimes in the classroom, but most often it's recognizable um, on a policy level. And in teacher trainings. And that, in turn, kind of trickles down into the classroom. Um, You know, one thing you've seen is this push for equity. I mean, I could, for example, you know, with school discipline, um, a lot of disciplinary policies are based on these ideas which have been kind of Began with critical race theory that if um, if there's a disproportionate outcome in something, and Abraham Kennedy made this argument, well, then it's a racist policy or it's a racist institution. Mm-hmm. So I started to hear a lot of that rhetoric about looking at disproportionality in every element of our district, which you know you see it in in teacher makeup, um, you see it in discipline makeup, all these different things, and and we'd assume that you would see, um, but the there was not really a question of, well, why is there this, 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 this disproportionality? It was assumed that this disproportionate makeup of students and teachers and X, Y, and Z was the result of systemic racism or of white supremacy. So they already had a name and, and label and identity for it before they even asked the right questions. And then policies started to be explicitly and sometimes implicitly um, pushed around those things. Um, they would start to say we're going to, you know, um, actively recruit minorities because our white teachers do not look like our students, and um, they they won't go out and explicitly say, well, we're going to not hire this teacher or that teacher. We're going to use race because they can't do that. That's illegal. But it started guiding things like that, uh, disciplinary policies. Um, this is kind of where you'd have an unintended consequence. but um, what people observed is that, you know, certain groups of students, based on the perception that there was racism because of the disproportionality of um, behaviors exhibited by certain groups of students, well, that's a result of racism. So you started seeing, selective enforcement of certain disciplinary policies based on, you know, the student's ethnicity. Uh, And they wouldn't necessarily ever say that. And this is common at a lot of schools, Um, but you can see it, you can observe it. Um, And yeah, it's, it's tricky because it's, it's very, it's very sometimes subtle. It's very sneaky the way they do it. Sometimes it's not necessarily just what they say. It's what they don't say. It leaves a lot of room for interpretation, but um, people kind of know what what they're looking for and what they want to see, and, um, and and they take that and go with it. And unfortunately, uh, you know, unless you have it in writing, um, unless you have explicit orders, which they're very careful never to do, there's not a lot you can do. Um, teachers can, you know, have brought up lawsuits, or can, you know, there's whisperings. I heard from this person they were told specifically this, but it's very hard to track and prove. So I think when you see critical race theory, you see it. Uh, in application, you see it in the as the lens through which they interpret every problem in the school, and um, their big solution now to this, you know, specifically, their their big focus is on the disproportionate number of uh, specifically black students um, getting suspended or having behavioral altercations or um, lagging behind in test scores, and they their argument is, well, this is due to implicit bias or systemic racism or white supremacy or whatever you want to call it. And so their solution, at least for teachers, has been something called culturally relevant pedagogy. And that is supposed to be kind of the panacea that's supposed to fix a lot of these things. And so they've kind of put this discre- um, this discrepancy on teachers and said, well, well, it's you guys, um, you know, you, whether or not you admit you're racist, you know, you obviously have some implicit biases, there can be no alternative explanation, so fix it through this kind of teaching strategy.
0: Okay, but now like when you see things like now as far as I know it's in New York, um, Oregon just did that, I and mean, California was going on about that, where they're just getting rid of testing and they're getting rid of grades and they're getting now I mean, the same people who are cheering that on, and we're laughing laughing at Trump and rightfully so, when he said, okay, well, the number of you know COVID results are too high, stop the testing." I mean it's it's the same it's the same logic here, <laughs> yeah. you know? like so that's what I don't get. like how instead of fixing the teaching, you're getting rid of the test. Like, how is that going to help students? Like, how is that going to help students to learn to read and write and do math? And, you know, like, how and how is that going to help society? How are they going to be able to function as adults if they can't
1: do any of those things? Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of the irony, right? So they look at these um, ethnic disparities in, for example, say, uh, literacy scores, and they don't like what they see. And, you know, there's a few angles that, you know, they can blame the teachers, they can say they're not being culturally responsive, if they were that, you know, uh, you'd have higher scores among black students in this group and that group, um, more in line with white students, they don't bring up Asian students really for, because that's problematic for their narrative, or they include them with white. Um, And the or the other the other solution, as you mentioned, is to just um to blame the actual system itself, to say, well, the system that produced these inequalities, um, the grading system, um, now, we might say, well, it didn't produce the inequalities. it It recorded them. It, it measured them. And you didn't like what you saw. So they said, well, no, 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 it it produced them, and uh, therefore it's, you know, per Ibrahim Kennedy's logic which has kind of become mainstream it's it's then a racist tool or it's a racist system and so to get rid of it is to i don't know make the problem go away now now they'll tell you though that well we're not getting rid of assessment we're getting rid of grading we are using alternative ways culturally relevant ways of assessing student learning because um you know there's there's this idea that there's many ways to measure intelligence and this is this has been kind of disproven but and you know we're using kind of western white anglo ways of measuring intelligence measuring performance and assessment and teaching and so that is their argument i'm not saying i, I buy it at all but and that's what they're going to say why they're scrapping this is they're going to form uh, they're going to have alternative assessments is what they would call them and you know if if it sounds crazy, it's because it is I mean you know sometimes they'll talk about well instead of having students write a paper, they can wrap it or um now to me, that sounds racist um and and I've heard other people comment the same thing, you know it but they kind of they 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 have the power over these kind of decisions they claim the moral authority so What they say goes. What is racist is racist. And what is not, even if it looks and is, well, because they said it isn't, it isn't. Um, That's what's so difficult is that, you know, I think these people kind of empower these kind of ideologues. They have this moral authority to just make these decisions and do these things and whatever they say goes. And, um, you know, there's a lot of the public that rejects it, but within the system, I mean, it, it must have been popular to have these things passed. I mean, the unions weren't fighting against it. Schools weren't fighting against it.
0: You mentioned the unions. I think you touched on this slightly before the, you know, like it's a big, powerful machine. I mean, just the fact that, you know, the teachers union affected a decision by the CDC concerning masking kids. Now, if anything, the teachers union should be listening to the CDC, not the other way around. Like, you know, like that's going to show you the power that these people have. Sure. You know, like it's, it's crazy. Like, the, like if you want to get into the debate about masks and this and that, that's one thing, but the teachers union should not be leading that
1: debate. <laughs> yeah. They, they have an incredible amount of power and, um, you know, sometimes with the teachers union, it's not only what they say and promote, it's what they don't say. It's when they're, they're selectively quiet on certain things and they're very vocal about others. So you can kind of read what they say. Um, the teachers unions are first and foremost concerned, I would say as our, you know, school schools in general, but with their own survival, um, they don't really have, at least I don't believe they don't really have an ideology uh, as we might think um, they're. Primary goal is to survive, and they will go with whatever suits them in that purpose. I I don't think they necessarily buy a lot of the stuff or necessarily believe it. I think Hmm. it may come back to bite them, but it's advantageous now. At you know, and and they're going to go with it.
0: Are they looking out for themselves? Are they looking out for the teachers at all? I mean, they're certainly not looking out for the students, as far as I can tell. But like, do the teachers play any? Like, I don't mean I don't mean the teachers actually causing the unions to do whatever they do, but I'm just saying like when the union's taking things into consideration, do you think they even consider like the teachers when they with these policies or are they just looking out for them solely for themselves?
1: It's a good question. I mean, I, I think there's kind of a hierarchy of who they're most concerned with. And I think, you know, first it's the the institution and, and the leadership of the union and I, I do think they're concerned about their membership. I mean, their membership, you know, votes on things and is very actively involved. Um, you know, it, it's somewhat democratic in that sense. But, you know, th- they're going to they're going to protect the institution of the union. Teachers really are and they're not going to be concerned about, you know, the the minority of teachers. I mean, they they're legally obligated to protect you, but they're kind of looking out for the kind of the whole um, the collective Um and what they kind of say, you know, we're talking, what, 92 to 97% of teachers, um, depending on what department you're looking at, are identify as left-leaning or liberal. Um, so that's kind of the, the trend. And I think the people in positions of power in the union are definitely on the, the left side of the spectrum. So they can kind of set the agenda and set the tone, and most teachers will support it. And if you have teachers that don't, well, what, it's, you know, eight to... 3%. I mean.
0: Okay. So like kind of circling back a little bit, like you, know, the, you were talking about the videos of the teachers resigning and people resigning and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now with a lot, like, I mean, I've, like, I've only been following the, the education debate since maybe about 2018. Um, but with like the school choice thing going on now, there's a lot of States. Well, there's at least a few States that are, you know, putting forth legislation to put the funding to all of the students, not the schools. Sure. And then you're getting more of a school choice. So would you like to see, like if these people are resigning out of you know frustration or, you know, because they don't, they're standing up for their principals or whatever, like, like I said, I agree with, you know, I, I don't want to argue with their decision. I agree with their standpoint, at least. Um, would you like to see them maybe help start up like micro schools or like little pod schools or, you know, cause I know there's, a couple of organizations that are, that kind of work on that, like at least um, no left turn in education, like you know, does a lot of work on that, like helping parents set up little small micro schools and things like that. So like, would you like to see something like that happen, like an alternate system or would you, would you rather fix what's already there?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely prefer to see an alternate system. I mean, I think the system is too rotten to exist as it is. There is, you know, unfortunately no way to really reform, um, meaningfully um, from the inside. It's, it's, there's too many entrenched powers um, that are not going to budge, um, whether it be the unions or whether it be the school districts themselves, administration. You're really going to need some type of legislative solution that takes that power away from them and allows people to use their educational tax dollars where they choose. And I would definitely support that. I, I think a lot of teachers don't because there's a process that you go through where you're kind of institutionalized and you start to not be able to imagine anything outside of, um, you know, the, the environment you've known, um, the public school system in general, you think that's all there is. You're, you're used to it. It's comfortable. You may not be happy, but you're comfortable. And I think that's what guides a lot of people. And so they're scared. Um, They think, you know, they won't be able to find work or that, you know, it won't, they won't get paid anything. Um, and I just don't, I don't buy that anymore. I think, you know, when I was younger and when I was first in it, I, I definitely felt that, but I don't, I don't think so anymore. I I would love to see it. I think it would give teachers freedom to choose what type of school they want to work in and not be stuck in these giant institutions where a lot of teachers are just miserable and they're just clinging because they don't know what else to do. That, you know, if you want to teach, what, what are your options? Public school, which is the majority, or private school, which you know, significantly less pay because most of it, you know, sucked up by the public schools and, um, yeah.
0: Now, whatever this is, this may be a tinfoil hat theory here, but, um, like a lot of this stuff, like, you know, I've read very little of the critical pedagogy, but I've read, you know, a lot of critical race theory and gender and queer theory and that, And it is very faith like you, you know, you have to, you can only say certain things. You're only allowed to think a certain way. And then when I see like the things that trickle down into classrooms where, you know, um, kids are told that, you know, don't dress up as Pocahontas and like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, you're stifling imagination. Like, is it the same with some of the teachers coming out of these institutions, like coming out of like, you know, the the college's education, whatever that they, because they've been trained to think like that, because they've been taught to think like that, they can only see something in one way. Like they have a lack of imagination. So like, that's why they can't fathom anything other than what they know. Or is it, is it just like working too long in that place and becoming comfortable?
1: Well, I think what I've noticed is definitely with the the younger teachers, they are um, a whole lot more, orthodox in their political ideology. Um, I think with the older teachers, um, there was more wiggle room ideologically, and many of them did become institutionalized over time and just kind of accepted it or made peace with it and didn't want to rock the boat. Um, you know, this is anecdotal, but you know, I've definitely noticed the, the younger teachers as they come out each year, they're, they're really heavy into this ideology. Um, and that's why, you know, when I, Started the name of my blog, you know, Chalkboard Heresy. It's because I, I felt like a heretic, because I felt like I was dealing with a, a religion, a religious movement, missionaries.
0: Um, <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> zealotry never gets you anywhere good. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's like I'm, again, like I gotta, I, I keep, this is my biggest worry. It's like, okay, fine. You can pass all those anti CRT laws, you can, you know, lawsuit after lawsuit great. But if you don't fix the universities, if you don't fix the colleges of education, you're going to get more and more people who think that way. So eventually, you know, that stuff will, will get passed through. That's like, you know, those legislations, like if, if a governor in a state right now puts out an anti-CRT curriculum law, Eight years down the road, you could have someone who's very far left because that's all the universities have been churning out, who, you know, executive order or whatever just gets rid of that law. So I mean you're back at square one. Like I like I said, this is like it's it's the you know, the Gramsci thing, the long march to the institutions. Like they they're they tried this in the nineties, it didn't work. Now they're coming back thirty years later. Like only if it doesn't work now, they'll try to come back in another, you know, like twenty years or whatever. I don't know what to do about the universities. I don't know what to do about the boards. Like that's where I'm like, that's where I lose a little bit of hope. I'm like, if you don't fix those institutions, everything else is just a band aid.
1: Yeah, and and that's where there's really a sense of urgency too for me. uh, And going back to you know where we started, why I decided to speak out. How much longer, you know, do we have with, with every year, you know, more students that have been kind of inculcated um, into this ideology are graduating. Um, they're becoming voters. They're making policy decisions. Um, the trickle down kind of ideology that came from colleges and now is becoming mainstream in public schools starts to not be an ideology. It starts to just become truth. It's, it's all that, you know, they've known and um You know, this is how state religions form um, when when you have when you're eventually kind of outnumbered when they have control over the education system and um, as as most you know you know you look at any uh, any dictatorship um, that's one of the first things they go after is because it's it's a great long term investment and and I'm not saying that it was intentional but the outcome is is going to look very very much the same um, in my opinion, where you're going to have a society that is really ideologically captured, and the people like us are going to become fewer and fewer and fewer and the the social forces that keep people like you and I um, from getting on you know and talking about this stuff in public um, you know they're going to become stronger and people are going to be less likely to do it it is It is a dismal view um, but i but I say that to bring some sense of urgency to this issue. Um, I, I used to think, you know, can I afford to you know, lose my job? And then the questions started becoming, can I afford to be quiet? I mean, how, how safe am I for how long? And, and I want other people to uh, ask themselves that same question.
0: Like kind of sticking with this, like with the universities, because mm-hmm. that really pisses me off to some extent. It's like, the way academics rolled over, but when you, like, if you speak to parents or anything, like what's their mood on this? Because I mean, a parent coming up and speaking at a, you know, a school board meeting and it's, it's taped and that video gets out or whatever, they stand to lose their job. They stand to, you know, mm-hmm. lose everything. And I mean, you know, where are the college professors who can come into those board meetings? And cause I mean, they must have kids in schools around there as well, right? Maybe not in public schools, but it's going on in private schools as well. So, I mean, they could come in and say, yeah, no, no, this is, this is where this comes from. This is like, and that at least lends quite a bit to the parent side, but, you know, whatever, any parent, like working class or, you know, upper class, whatever, like, it doesn't matter. They're putting themselves on the line and. Where are the academics like you let this happen. You let it happen underneath your watch. Like that's that's what I, you know, there's a, there's a you know, obviously not all, whatever, but it you know, they rolled over and died. Like, like it really pisses me off.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, everyone is incredibly scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have you know friends that agree with me, but they I can't afford to you know speak out and risk losing my job. And um, you know, I imagine half the country does not agree with this, but it's amazing how a, a vocal, and I do think it's a vocal minority. I think there's a vocal minority out there that is using fear to kind of manipulate the masses. Um, and uh, as you said, you know, people fear losing their jobs. I, it makes me wonder, are these people that are, are doing the firing, do they even agree with it? Or are they just going along because they're, well, if I don't go along with it, you know, someone's going to then go after me. It's, it's this kind of hysteria. And, and, and I think people need to ask themselves, you know, look around and we need to talk more because I, I think people will be surprised how many, how many of us there are out there. But if, but if we don't start getting louder, you know, we're in trouble and, um,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. On things like that, like I have a little bit of hope with the parents getting louder and all that, just, I mean, the, the organizations mm-hmm. that have started coming up, um, you know, like the like you know, fair is a big one, parents defending education. Um, there's one in California, C E R F, uh, Surf. There's a couple of things in New York City, um, mm-hmm. and then there's whatever like schoolhouse rights and you know, left turn education. So there's these things that are coming up and parents are going out, but it's it's great that parents are going to board meetings, it's great that parents are going to PTA meetings and this and that, but at one point or other parents are going to have to start running for school board or like, you know, some of these teachers who resigned or somewhat like it's, it's not enough to go there and be vocal and raise a fuss. If you don't fix the background, like I, you know, that's where I hope some of these organizations, especially like the bigger ones will be able to like get more of a grassroots thing going where they get parents to run for school board or they get parents to, you know, just keep going to the PTA meetings and like, like I said, it's a, it's a vocal minority, but if you can just drown them out good. Um, so, I mean, like, I, I, I think you're going to, I, hopefully you start seeing that. Cause you know, again, kind of talking circles here, but like, you need that whole approach. Like you need to fix the colleges and you need to fix the people who are there right now. Like, cause I, I don't see anything changing if you don't fix what's inside the the school boards and what's inside the you know the the administrations and stuff
1: i agree and um i i think what it's going to take to get there is might be difficult for people to kind of um accept i mean it it, it is going to take you know some people are going to speak out and some people are going to fall and they're going to be crucified and they are going to lose their jobs um the analogy I, I keep going back to is you know as a historian is you know the 300 spartans where you had this persian army advancing on the greek mainland and um most greeks were like eh, you know I don't want to bother with this just let it go you know let them come through here whatever or they won't do this and so you had this group of 300 spartans that kind of um went and took a stand because they took it seriously and um they did die, you know, they died, unfortunately, you know, in this heroic kind of seven-day battle at this pass in Thermopylae, but that is what it took to rally the Greek mainland. And then the Greeks came together and said, you know, wow, you know, not only did their sacrifice inspire them, but this Persian army is a threat and they they drove them out. And so I think in, in a way today that the people, you know, the few teachers and parents and so forth you do see getting up there, they're kind of like the 300 Spartans, they, they see this Persian army coming and they're kind of trying to hold the line down and hoping that it'll mobilize um, kind of the rest of society and, and so that's kind of the hope I'm clinging to is that um, those out there. If we can get, continue to get their attention, that they might then be able to, to take it to the school board elections, to, uh, to the legislatures and, and do something more impactful. But we got to wake, we got to keep waking them up more because until we do that, they're not going to move. And, um, that's kind of my philosophy, uh, even if it's a little dismal, <laughs> yeah, but, like,
0: this this fall semester, so like, what's I mean? I guess schools are opening up any day now, right? Yeah, um, yeah,
1: sure.
0: So, I mean, this curriculum's already gone through. So now, like, how what would what advice would you give to parents on like what's going on in their kids' schools? Like, you know, if the parents have the time, if the parents can, and they they can follow the kids, what the kids are doing, like. Like, what would you ask them to look out for? What would you ask them to say, okay, you know what, if you see this kind of stuff, maybe you know if they're reading anti-racist baby, maybe you can get them to read um, I guess anti-racist baby they'd be too young to read Huck Finn, but you know, maybe you can get them to read something else like when they come sure. home, right? like so what kind of stuff would they have to look out for? and and how would you suggest that you know, if they want to be a like a counter or if they want to provide some ballast against what their kids are being taught in school like How would you say that they go about that?
1: Well, uh, I think the first thing is they first have to know exactly what is going on. I think the most powerful kind of weapon in their disposal right now is the Freedom of Information Act, uh, FOIA in school districts, finding out exactly what is in there. Um, I put up on my website on uh, chalkboardheresy.com a a FOIA template where people can get, you know, it's free and uh, it has certain keywords and they can fill it out and send it right into their school district and get that information. Uh, finding out what's in there i, I think that that kind of keeps them accountable I, they don't like that because they're not used to it and it may make them think twice about certain things well if the public is going to be finding out we can't just slip this stuff in there's going to be some attention to it we don't want to end up on the news and then once they have that information you know and they can disseminate it they can then use that to kind of rally the community they can get other parents coming to school board meetings they can maybe even you know transition that into uh you know, election support for certain school board candidates. But I think I would start there. I'd start the free find out exactly what you're dealing with, and then you can start to strategize. And it also makes them uh, kind of squirm in their seats a little because uh, they don't like that transparency. They've operated for decades without, you know, where a FOIA request was kind of a rare thing. It was in relation to a lawsuit. And now the public is just saying, hey, we just want to know what you're teaching our kids and, and what type of teacher training programs there are.
0: On that teaching the kids, like I've seen a few things now where parents have asked for stuff and the teacher's like, well, we are the schools are like, no, we can't give it to you because it's proprietary information from the, you know, where, who we bought it from. They've got like some sort of agreement where they can't give that information out. So would like a FOIA request like go around that or would the schools be adamant? Like, no, no, we've signed this agreement. We can't give it to you.
1: Hmm, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't heard about that happening, but it it doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's a tough one. I th- I think if you can at least find out what the name of the curriculum is, you can. Um, what I would suggest parents to do is to ask to sample it. Um, a lot of times these curriculum companies they're happy to give out. You know, I'd like to I'm gonna homeschool my kids. I'd like a can I have a preview of it? And they'll they'll send you you know a free textbook to evaluate and a free. Basically, you know, curriculum guide to look at. And um, that's one way around it is if you can at least find out the name of it, then you can start to do some investigation. Um,
0: I mean, there's that uh, woman in uh, Rhode Island, I believe, and she's being sued by the school uh, teachers union because she was oh, asking yeah. for. So, I mean, that's, you know, like you're suing a parent because they're, okay, I mean, I read some of the suit and some of the things is like, oh, well, she sent one person like 200 emails. But again, I don't know what the content of the emails are, where, and I don't know over how, you know, what, like the time or anything like that. Mm So, um, but still, I mean, like it's a parent trying to figure out what's going on with their kid's school. Now I brought up this example, um, a couple of times now, and it's just, there's okay. What they're being taught is great, but how they're being taught is more important. I think, because let's say they get the curriculum from, you know, a middle school kid or high school kid. And it says you know, I'm going to be reading Huck Finn.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I think Huck Finn is one of the books kids should read in high school. I'm not saying like everyone has to read it, but you know, there's a whole, there's a select bunch of books that I think you should read some of them anyways, in high school. And that's one of them. Now you can teach it, you know, the way I, I learned it in the eighties and just, about Huck finding common humanity in this and that, or like I said, you could teach it. If you're a woke teacher, you could turn that into Huck, you know, Um, uh, what do I, Huck is exploiting uh, Jim's emotional labor and he's making himself out to be a white savior. I mean, you could totally do that with that book.
1: Sure, Sure. So, I
0: mean, like, that's kind of like, it's not just the content they're teaching. It's how they're teaching it. It's like, so when the kids come home from school and they're doing their homework, I think parents should look at what that homework is because, you know, yeah, you're reading Huck Finn or whatever. You're reading green eggs and ham, you know, for like a kindergarten kid or first grade kid or something. And like, how are they teaching green eggs and ham? And you know, like, right. that, like that's, that's, that's it's also cultural,
1: appro- cultural appropriation of the uh, eggs and ham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: well, yeah, I, I don't know, but like, that's what I mean. Like it's, it's just, you know, so a parent who reads the curriculum or read, just reads a syllabus and goes, okay, yeah, well, this all sounds good. I said, I, I really wish they would actually pay attention to what is going on in the classrooms. Like, and I think after the, you know, the remote learning, whatever, a lot more parents are actually paying attention to what's going on in their kids' classrooms. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's, said it's, it's how is taught is as important as what's being taught.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I mean, again, this is, this is labor for a lot of parents, but it's going to, you know, Asking teachers to provide curriculum maps, you know, can I see your lessons? Um, These are types of things that they can ask and teachers may not be used to it, but um, they may, you know, depending on, you know, what school board policy is, they may be required to do that. Um, And, you know, looking through, you know, asking your kid, you know, where we're so used to just, you know, our kid comes home and how school good now. Okay. You know, what did he learn about specifically? What was the topic? What were some of the things you were asked? I, I think, this um, this should be a wake-up call to parents to kind of become more involved and invested in their kids education and find out exactly you know what did happen. That's, what are the things you learned about what's your teacher telling you you know you, you think your your kids spending eight hours a day away from you you'd at least want to you know and I understand you know you're, you', you have, we had a lot of faith in teachers and, and we trusted them and they they uh, many teachers in some way abused that trust by bringing their Personal politics and ideology into the classrooms and using classroom as a platform to uh, indoctrinate children. And so now we have to be uh, a little skeptical and uh, look at them a little more closely and um, ask our yeah. kids, you
0: know. No, yeah, but I mean, okay, like that's one thing that, again, I started when all those anti CRT curriculum laws came out. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't even really like calling them that, but. Um, North Carolina, I think it was. They were the only one I saw this, and it was a separate piece of legislation. It wasn't part of the like the curriculum laws, but the teachers had to be had to be fully transparent on what was being taught, and then they had to provide the previous year's lessons plans to all parents, you know, upon request. So, I think something like that. Like if you're if you're one of these states passing these laws, I think to go along with it you need that transparency law as well because you can pass all the laws you want until the kids you know teachers are going to teach what they teach i mean there's you know video after video i'm going to still teach it in my classroom i'm going to do this and that and like mm-hmm. i said you know you can if you know how to use that language you can warp a book like any book or anything like oh okay whatever teaching huck finn that sounds fine like you know the state regulators like oh, yeah, that a good book go ahead but they don't see how it's being taught so i i think like you really need something like that i'm just gonna ramble for a little a couple more seconds like the only reason i think that is because i think I mean, everyone says it like no one has trust in anything anymore and i think getting some of these laws in hopefully like you know some lawsuits get won, and people can have a little bit of trust and okay there's someone in the system looking out for me because right now I don't think anyone has any trust in anything. So, yeah. I mean, like I'd hope to see those kind of laws come into.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why, you know, this has to become a a bigger political issue. And I, I kind of worry that it may, you know, may fizzle out for a while. Um, people are going to lose interest. They're going to move on to something else, something controversial, something that's generating buzz. And, um, you know, we kind of live in this kind of crisis-driven media cycle where we get all, you know, super hyper about something. And it's trending on Twitter, and then it just goes away, and people aren't talking about it anymore till the next big incident. Um, I've been encouraging people. You know, education has to be the political issue of all political issues because you know, things you care about, whether you care about tax policy or environmental policy, or you name it, um, who's going to be making those decisions? Well, it's going to be children that, you know, become voters and uh, politicians and so forth. And you say, okay, well, w- where are they spending their most formative years? And, and, you know, well, in public education systems and who's instructing them, what are they hearing? Um, and that's, that's kind of the crux of the issue for me is that if, if schools are lost, it's all over. Um, Because, you know, then you, then the ideology is entrenched in the formal education children have, and it becomes their, their reality, their worldview. Um, And so, so that's, you know, it's just so, it's so important to, and I wish I had more answers. You know, I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. I, I just, I just kind of came out swinging and <laughs> hoping yeah. some other people have some answers too. Cause yeah. Man. Well,
0: You know, like I, I'd say the same thing. Okay. I don't have kids. You know, I would, you know, niece and nephew, but I don't have any kids of my own, but the only reason I do this, and it's like some of it's selfish and it's for that reason, like, when I'm an old fart, I want to make sure my doctors know what they're doing. And instead of like worrying about if I'm getting the doctor, that same skin color than me, than me. You know, like, right. I mean, like I want the people who are taking care of uh, like the government pensions and whatever, like, you know, people who work at like, you know, where I invest, I want them to know that two plus two equals four, not five. Like that, that's, that's all, <laughs> you know, like that's where my whole thing behind this is. It's like, I want a functioning society. And I, you know, I, I, said so, you know i don't have kids i don't have like any skin in the game except for the fact that i need a functioning society
1: right yeah, yeah. yeah we, we know the you know the the kind of woke as as they've been kind of called um they're not very concerned with with how things work or or, or outcomes it's, it's all about moral rectitude and, and and righteousness and that doesn't lead for a very well-functioning society when that is what the society is concerned about looking right and appearing right over actually doing right or saying the right things or, and that's, that's kind of how I see it. I mean, especially in schools, it's, it's just become a big show about who can be the most virtuous, who can look the best, who can be the most woke um, outcomes be damned. I mean, and we know those outcomes are not good (laughs) as you, as you discussed. Um,
0: Look, I don't want to keep you too too much longer, but the, one thing I'd like, again, this is just, you know, following it for the last couple of years and figuring things out. Like how much leeway do teachers have in the classroom? So like, you know, here's the state approved or the board approved curriculum. This is what you're supposed to teach. Like how much leeway do they actually have? Like, or is the school giving you this, is what you're going to teach is you're going to, how you have to teach it. And you, if you've, veer away from that you can get fired suspended or whatever or it's like like i said like the way you teach huck finn like you know like how much of that is up to the teacher how much how much control do the boards have over that like
1: yeah uh, i i think it, it depends um district to district i'll say based on my experience um and a lot of this is just out of matters of um kind of the material reality of public education is you can get away with a lot. I mean, you can really do whatever you want in the classroom as long as you're not making waves. And by making waves, I mean, causing problems for administration. Generally, if students are kept inside their class inside the classroom, you're not sending them out for behavioral issues or discipline referrals. They really don't, they don't know. They don't always want to know. They'll leave you alone. And, um, You know, even when you do certain things, you know, even if there is a a mandated curriculum and stuff, who's gonna know? I mean, you're in there several hours a day with kids, five days a week. You know what? An admin pops in for five-minute check-in once every month, maybe. I mean, it depends on the school you're in, but I mean, in a big public school, it could be never. Could be, you know, I've I've had year, you know, could be years before they come and check on what you're doing. And they won't know. And so even, um, so a lot of this really does come from teachers. I mean, I I hate to say it. Um, If teachers, even if it was coming from school boards, even when you have the instances where it's mandated in the curriculum or where it comes from, you know, the department of equity and inclusion um, teachers go along with it because they're on board with it. And so, Going back to, you know, what you brought up, uh, this is the problem is our, it, it's a reflection of our teachers. Um, I'll tell you this, if teachers opposed it, it wouldn't be happening because teachers, you know, and then the power of the unions wouldn't allow it to. So th- their silence is complicit
0: Okay. I mean, like you said, I just, cause I, you know, I've spoken to a couple of people. I was just trying to get my head around that. Um, Yeah one last thing is this like I was, sure. I've been following um, like it's like there's like donors choose and clears the lists and so I'd spoken with Courtney Jones the woman kind of, who kind of organized all that and she set up the website and um, you know she's teacher out of Texas and I look at some of the wish lists of the teachers and I, I keep bringing this one thing up and it's like you know and it's not just on one or two but I saw I've seen them on a lot of lists where teachers have pencil sharpeners for the classroom on their wish lists. And I'm like, okay, you're spending whatever twenty thousand dollars an hour on candy, but you can't put pencil sharpeners in the classroom. Like the priority on the budgeting, like I mean, like you know, especially like after COVID and stuff. Just hear the numbers of how much money was given to school unions and school boards, and you know, they're they're wasting it on that. And I mean, you can if you just look up the hashtag clear the lists, you could just see like teacher after teacher just you know, they need supplies for the school. Some of it's just like cleaning supplies. Like some of it's okay. You know, teachers got a special project needs like certain headphones or whatever, but some of it, like I said, it's like pencil sharpeners and cleaning supplies. It's, it's, It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, no, it is. And, and, you know, the answer is a lot less exciting than I think, you know, it's, it's just incompetency. It's the money's there. It's just incompetency. It's it's a big public bureaucracy and it's getting, you know, an email that won't get replied to. And then you get the runaround, you know, can, is there money for a pencil sharpener? And, you know, it's easier to just reply. It's not on, it's not in the budget. maybe it's not, or maybe they just didn't care. Didn't want to spend the time, but it's kind of a confluence of, I mean, it is one of the most incompetent institutions I've ever worked in. I've ever witnessed. Um, and, um, you know, I, that's why I, I do kind of reject when people kind of make, you know, well, you know, schools don't have enough money to buy. Oh, they have enough money. And if you look at what they're spending on DEI and all these other things, they absolutely have enough money. They're just incompetent. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay.
0: I, before I started looking into this, I was one of those people. I'm like, oh, t- schools need more money. Like schools are, getting, right. you know, like it's just because you see like the schools in the inner cities and stuff. I'm like, yeah, they need money. or whatever. No, It's like, it's. They need better budgeting, or the school boards need better budgeting. Not sure. You know, it's 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 just the allocation of funds is, yeah. You know, like I said, like twenty thousand dollars for candy, or you know, put a few pencil sharpeners in, in classrooms. Like,
1: right? right you know. It's just, uh, right. It's, it's, it's absolutely nuts. And, and I think sometimes even when they do have the money, it's how the schools that, you know, mm-hmm. the central office may put it to the schools and they may spend it in a frivolous manner, or they may just be so incompetent. They don't get around to ordering it on time. I mean, we've had, we've had instances where they're taking like supply orders midway through the year. And, and you know, you're looking through a catalog and then you might get a box in March with your stuff. And, or maybe you don't, maybe it just, you know, goes down a, a black hole and you never find out what happened, you know, Hey, what happened to that order we placed as a team and where's all the supplies? Oh, no one knows. I mean, it's just crazy. And, um, that's just, that's a whole nother layer to this. I think what, what makes being a teacher hard is it, it's so, it's so demoralized. And I think that's why so many teachers, um, you know, I, I, take seriously the issue of when teachers say they're unhappy. I mean, there's, there's truth to that. There's a lot of unhappiness there. Uh, It can be a very toxic environment. And, um, you know, I've even heard and and read about, you know, teacher substance abuse rates. It's a serious problem. I mean, I heard quoted once and I'd have to go back and look, but something like one in three teachers struggles with some type of substance abuse, um, drinking too much. Um, you know, I don't know what they included in there, but that was what they characterized as some type of substance abuse. And I think, um, That's a reflection of the system. And I I spoke about this recently. I mean, I'm sorry not to get too far off on this topic, but, you know, when we talk, I mean, are there bad teachers? Absolutely. Um, And a lot of teachers that have been there a while, they, they're not doing great. They don't, they don't look good. They don't perform well. Um, but they don't, they don't come in that way. It's something, you know, it's that process of institutionalization and it's, uh, it's pretty sad. You know, I've I've seen a lot of teachers I've experienced it myself and kind of rebuilding myself from that, where, you know, you get kind of broken by the system and, um, what your, your choices are to quit or to tough it out, tough it out till retirement. And, um, And sadly, you know, I mean, a lot of teachers, they retire and they don't, they don't make it too long after. I mean, uh, it was was a guy I took over for, this was 10 years ago. He was a really, you know, he's a terrible, incompetent teacher and he probably wasn't always that way. And um, he, he, they kind of forced him into retirement and he had a heart attack three months later. Um, It's, it's really, it's just, there's so much wrong with it. That's why, you know, was like what are we gonna? I see. You need the the whole system needs to be broken down. It's so dysfunctional. It's so rotten. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's it's sad to hear it. It's just.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, it's
0: because if a, a, a well, a, a good working education system, you know, was actually like, you said which had been at times like you absolutely need it. Look, like I said, I, I don't want to keep you too too much longer, but. Um, if you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you, if you want to let them know uh, your website, I'll put all the links down in the description. Anyway, oh yeah, sure, go ahead.
1: Yeah, um, my name is Frank. I'm at chalkboardheresy.com. Um, on Twitter at cbheresy, and um, just go give me a follow. Check out the website, and, and um, you know, my inbox is always open and my email. So, you know, if you're a teacher and and want some support or, or want to share some stuff with me that I can share, or a parent, um, I'm I'm happy to do that.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Frank. Thanks for coming on.
1: It was great talking to you. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll be back.